Hello, Internet friends. This is Linda. And this is Glenn. And welcome to another podcast of Preparing Our Hearts for Worship, where we share the history of the songs so many of us grew up singing in our churches. Music is rooted into our lives and so much about who we are, and it's a great expression of our hearts. It's no wonder it's so deeply ingrained in our worship experience. In Genesis 4.21, is the first mention that music originated with a descendant of Cain named Jubal. The Bible actually indicates that the first man knew and practiced music. What's more, music existed long before Adam. It's when God was talking to Job, putting the wise man in his place in comparison to the creative feasts of God Almighty, he asked the question, What gives you insight into the history before Earth's creation? He said, Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Read in Job 38, 4-7. This reveals that God created angels before he created the earth. That they witnessed this magnificent moment that they shouted for joy, and that they were singing. Consider how sound exists in this spirit realm. Ezekiel heard the noise of the great cherubim in Ezekiel 1.24. The book of Revelation reveals the lyrics of the angels shouting and singing around God's heavenly throne, not to mention that they were playing musical instrument in this period dimension. The Bible reveals God sings in Zephaniah 3.17. He has always existed without beginning of days or end of life in Hebrews 7.3. The question then arises, since God has always existed, wouldn't his attributes, his eyes, care, hands, and voice have always existed, as well as infinite wisdom? See Proverbs 8.22. Surely, therefore, music, or at least the capacity of music, has always existed. Now, there was a moment when music took a more institutionalized form. That was with the center of, that was with the creation of angels. In them, God created intimate musicability, the chief of angels, a musical creation was the archangel. Since we are created in God's image, music must be ingrained in our soul. And this week we are looking at a song by Charles Gabriel that details his amazement at the love of Christ for the sinner and the magnitude of what he did for us on the cross. I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful! And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. For me, it was in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears of his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for mine. In pity, angels beheld him and came from the world of light to comfort him in the sorrows he bore from my soul that night. He took my sins and my sorrows. He took 
filled his very own. He bore the burden of Calvary and suffered and died alone. When with the ransom in glory his face I at last shall see, t'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. I stand amazed is by the prolific composer Charles H. Gabriel, published in three collections in 1905. The first hymn appeared in 1905, Eos Excels Collection, Praises, Reverend Clinton R. Young, editor of the Methodist Hymnal, he notes, this song of gratitude and praise for the atoning death of Jesus is a personal and advanced interpretation of Luke's account of Jesus sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. A portion of the passionate narrative not included in other Gospels. Charles Hutchinson Gabriel was born in 1856 in Iowa. He was one of seven children. Charles was surrounded by music, and at 15 years of age, he announced that he wanted to be a songwriter, an ambition that his mother encouraged. It was the boy's mother who challenged him to make a habit of scribbling down his own words and music after finishing his farm work each day. In response to the boy's wish to become famous, she said, I would rather have you write a song that will help somebody and see you President of the United States. With the family's reed organ, Gabriel taught himself the basics, and by his mid-teens, he actually was teaching others and reportedly composing hymns for his local church. Unfortunately, at the age of 16, his father died. Charles took on the responsibility of taking his father's place as a teacher in the local singing school. After about a year, he left his hometown seeking other teaching opportunities. He continued teaching for over 10 years. He published his first hymn as a teenager, and by his early 20s, he had published a songbook called Gabriel's Sabbath School Songs. An amazing person who wrote that he was, a, in fact, quite ordinary, feeble being compared to the incomparable God. That's how one could describe Charles Gabriel in the early 1900s when he composed I Stand Amazed. Soon his name was well recognized in the field of gospel music. He was active in helping with evangelistic crusades, and he wrote many of the songs that the famous evangelist Billy Sunday used at his revival meetings. After serving as a church music director in California, Charles moved to Chicago to be closer to music houses and publishers of religious music. He became an editor at the famous Homer Rodhever Publishing Company. The, the words of the gospel hymn, I Stand Amazed, were written in 1905 when Gabriel was 49 years old, after more than three decades into his life's work in music. The hymn's words indicate he was not self-absorbed as some, with his talent over such a long stretch of time, might have been. Instead, Gabriel focused his attention on the one who gifted him musically. Gabriel's compositions show 
he saw his own faults, a sinner, contend, condemned, unclean, as we see in verse 1. But that's where he dwelt. Gabriel evidently had emerged from his own struggles, including that with his death of his father Charles was when when Charles Charles was a teenager and his failed first marriage to recognize the Lord's work in his life. He gave a brief account of the hymn in his personal memoirs of nineteen eighteen. Elijah Brown, founder of the Ram's Horn, sent me these two lines. He had no seers tears for his own griefs but sweat drops of blood for mine, saying he believed the theme might suggest words for a song. It did, and my Savior's love, or I stand amazed, as it was later known as, published in 1905, was the outgrowth. His exact words are a part of the second stanza. Gabriel composed songs, anthems, cantatas, and also edited a collection of songs. He was associated with major music publishers of his day. Often, he used pseudonyms like Charlotte Homer, Jeannie Ray, and S.B. Jackson. This song is a song of gratitude for the atoning death of Jesus Christ and is based on Luke's account of Jesus sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. This story is only found in Luke's Gospel and not in the other Gospels. In Luke 22, verse 41-44, we read, As he was withdrawn from then about a stone's cast, kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was his his sweat was as if it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In nineteen ten, Gabriel added another stanza. He took my sins and my sorrow, inserted in number four. This five stanza version was included in Alexandra's Gospel Songs number 2. The five stanza version also appeared in Gabriel's text, only compilation, The Slighted Stranger, and other poems. In modern hymnals and songbooks, the third stanza is often omitted. In 1915, Gabriel offered this summary of what constitutes an acceptable and useful gospel song. He says, First, the text must be systematically constructed, be spiritual and devotional. It should begin with an immediate declaration of the subject, followed by an explanation presented in a logical and intelligent manner. There are usually three stanzas, of four or more lines. The corresponding lines in these stanzas must have the same number of syllables and the accents be of uniform occurrence. 
Next to the text, if not on equal ground with it, comes the music. A gospel song will not succeed unless it has a melody. Especially, is true. this is true when applied to music for children and young people. And the more pleasing the melody, the better it is liked and the more good it accomplishes. A subject presents itself, and as it takes form in the mind, a melody comes singing its way with the first stanza. The main thought is always in the chorus, which should become a crowning glory of the song. Baptist scholar Terry York once asserted, the simplicity of Gabriel's hymn tunes contributed in part to their success. The need for simplicity was acute in both the Sunday school and urban revival meetings. This hymn tune fits the bill. The melody follows a clear tonal pattern built over a relatively basic harmonic structure. The tune is well crafted. In the stanzas, the melody is somewhat restrained, rising only to the third, but it is allowed to soar higher in the refrain, meeting exclamation with musical height. He edited gospel songs books and contributed numerous hymns to various publications. He is credited with writing between seven and 8,000 hymns and songs in his life. Many approached him to write the melody for their words. Some of his hymn lyrics include His Eyes on the Sparrow. Oh, that will be glory. Send the light. Will the circle be unbroken? The old rugged cross. Crown him with many crowns and away in a manger. The song mentions the many expressions of Christ's love for us. The stanza says that he was Jesus the Nazarene. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. A Nazarene was an inhabitant of Nazareth, so this immediately implies his leaving heaven and coming to earth as a human being. That Jesus was a Nazarene is identified as the subject of prophecy, as we read in Matthew 2:23, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Some suggest that the root of the name Nazareth is the branch that this has reference to, the prophecy which is called the Messiah, the branch as we find in Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will rise unto David's righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In Zechariah, it reads in six twelve, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Others suggest that it may have reference to the fact that the Messiah was to be despised and rejected, and that people would say, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? John 1, 46 says, 
And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. In any event, this Nazarene certainly did love us. As in 1 John 3.16, Hereby we perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And it's amazing, love, because he loved us even while we were yet sinners, condemned and unclean, as we read in Romans 5.8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the second stanza, it says that he agonized in the garden for us. For me, it was in the garden he prayed, not by will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs but sweat drops of blood for mine. It was for us in the Garden of Gethsemane that he prayed in Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. And in Luke 22, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Sacred Selections omits this stanza completely, and Hymns for Worship changes it to, He cried with tears in his sorrow. Apparently, Shepherd and Stevens felt that he did have tears for his own griefs or sorrows based on Hebrews 5.7 who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. In any event, this statement means that all of his suffering was for us because of our sin. First Peter 4, 1 reads, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Stanza 3 says that he had sorrows for us. In pity angels beheld him and came from the world of light to comfort him in the sorrows he bore for my soul that night. The agony of Jesus in the garden was not the end, but in fact the beginning of his sorrows. So an angel appeared from heaven, strengthening him, not only during the agony of the garden, but undoubtedly for the rest of his tribulations, as well as found in Luke twenty-two forty-three. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And certainly, Jesus did experience many sorrows for us. Isaiah 53, 4, 9 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and that the Lord hath laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich of his death, because he had done no vilas, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Stanza 4 says that Jesus died for our sins. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burdened Calvary and suffered and died alone. He took our sins and made them as though they were his very own. Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. First Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bare his sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Thus he bore the burden to Calvary, which in the Latin name of the place is Golgotha, where Jesus died for us. Luke 23:32 says and when they were come to the place which was called Calvary there they crucified him and the malefactors one on the right hand and the other on the left John 19:17 through 18 reads and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and the two other with him, on either side, one and Jesus on the either side one, and Jesus in the midst. First Corinthians fifteen three says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. There he suffered and died alone. The statement that he died alone is undoubtedly associated by his cry for my God my God why have you forsaken me it has been debated by theologians and others as to the precise meaning and application of this phrase for years the usual explanation is that Jesus was bearing our sins and it was necessary for God to turn away from him and at that time and let him die alone. Stanza 5 says that he makes possible the hope of glory. When with the ransom in glory his face I at last shall see, t'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Glory here refers to being in the very presence of God himself as we read in Psalms 73:24 thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterwards receive me to glory then colossians 1:27 says 
to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we stand in glory with the ransom, then at last his face we shall see. For when he comes, we shall see him as he is. In 1 John 3, 1 through 2, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. At that time we can join with the redeemed of all ages to sing of his love for us eternally. We are told in Revelation 5, 8, 14, And when we had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden veils full of odors, in which are in which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Singing with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdoms and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. The Course concludes by remarking how marvelous and wonderful is Christ's love for us. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful, is my Savior's love for me. In August 1986, issue of the Ensign Magazine, published in a draft given by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, the president of Brigham Young University. In this address stated, I stand amazed, I stand all amazed, he said. One of, the f one of our favorite hymns begins, I stand all amazed. In any consideration of Jesus' life, surely there is a reason to be amazed in every way. Known as the master of missionary music, Gabriel led worship next to Evangelist Billy Sunday and encouraged many listeners through the years to hear the Macedonian call. In Acts 16, 9-10, it says, 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them and send the light around the world. Charles said later in life that my 60 years of gospel songs have been eventful, tolerant, and interesting. Failure more often than the success mars the path I've traveled. Now since the years have led me up to the eastern slope and down the mountain from the top of life, I am hurrying toward the silent sea that lies slumbering before me. I begin to realize that my work has has not been so much a failure as I had concluded. To meet those who have had helped in the times passed by my hymns is worth more than all the gold that was ever mined that was taken from hymn stories by William Conkle. The dynamic nature of God and his overwhelming gift of eternal life to us demands that we resist the urge to grow accustomed to the mystery and wonder of the Christian faith. It's the happy believer who stands amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. Gabriel died on September the 14th, 1932 in Hollywood, California. My friends, we cannot look at this song and the word of God that it so beautifully reflects without seeing the love of God depicted in what he did for us. How can we ignore, reject, let apathy deplete, deplete, or evaporate the message poured out in the life's blood of our Lord Jesus for us. He gave his life because of his love for us. While we were yet sinners, listen to me, my fellow creations of God. If you don't react to this, you'll spend eternity in the place of torment without hope of ever getting out. Please, we care about you, and we want this for you. That same God that loved you is also a just God. He cannot let sin go unpunished. He demonstrated his love for you on the cross, and now it's necessary for you to demonstrate your sorrow and repentance for the sins and ask him for his forgiveness. Mean it with all your heart. He's already done everything else. Jesus paid it all. He took care of this for you, but you must acknowledge it and accept this truth and trust in him him alone. This is a gift for you. Won't you accept it right now today while you can before it's too late? Behold the hourglass, how swiftly the sand doth move. Now let's listen to Forgive and Do, I Stand Amazed.
hope you will enjoy those and remember now. We love y'all. God be with you and bye for now.